0: now. In today's episode, we discuss conditions, treatment, and preventative options related to the uterus, many of which may surprise you. Nicole Kruck is here to share her wisdom where her passion began after her own health concerns. She is a licensed oriental medicine practitioner and acupuncturist and massage therapist. She provides a wide range of holistic treatments for gynecological conditions, pregnancy, infertility support, perimenopause and menopause, anxiety, insomnia, stress, and immunological and digestive issues, and of course, many more. I like that Nicole educates us on these natural options and how they have been used for hundreds of years in cultures where traditional medicine is not as prevalent. Please join me in welcoming Nicole Kruk. Nicole, welcome to the FemPower Power Health Podcast. Thanks so much for joining.
1: Oh, thanks so much for having me today. I'm, th- I'm thrilled to be uh, with you and of your podcast and talking about the uterus. (laughs) Yes,
0: yes. Today it is all things uterus. So maybe you could start with giving your background and um, why it is you know so much about the woman's uterus and the area of work that you do for women.
1: I started this journey uh, professionally about 23 years ago. I'm a licensed massage therapist and oriental medicine practitioner. And I started getting uh, involved in this work due to my own issues. I was um, I I had a tipped uterus that I found out when I was about at the age of 20. And when I asked my doctor like what that meant, what I could do about it, she said, well, basically you'll have a, you know, you could have issues with your periods. You could have painful uh, periods. You might get endometriosis. You could have issues with fertility down the road. Painful intercourse. And when I heard her, I was, I was floored because I had no idea. And I said, well, what could I do about it? And she was, said, well, you could either have a hysterectomy or ride it out through menopause. Oh. And that started my journey into women's health. Like I knew that there had to be something that could help me and probably many other women. And what had happened is when I was a kid, I had, had a big fall off of a, a slide on my back, on cement. Uh, I had been in many car accidents, just a lot of injuries to my lower body. And I found out later on that that's what led to my uterus probably being tipped.
0: Wow. I didn't
1: know that that could cause that. Interesting. Yeah, that's what happens. It's usually something that happens to us when we're really young. We're very active. We do sports. We have falls. We're into skiing, skating, that type of thing. And so because it's not addressed when we're younger in the United States, because we don't have uterine care like other third world countries, it gets progressively worse. And so our symptoms get worse. And that's what happened to me. So when I I heard this diagnosis, I just knew that there was something out there for me. And while I was in massage school, One of my friends uh, said that she had gone to Belize. She had stayed in a resort next to uh, my teacher's farm, Dr. Rosita Arbigo, and that she just saw me and working with this woman and these traditional Maya healers and walking on the herb path. And I was like, sure. And she brought me back a book called uh, Sastoon My uh, Apprenticeship with a Traditional Maya Healer. And it was a bunch of case studies of Dr. Arvigo's work with a trish, traditional Maya healer named Donalicio Ponte, who she started working with in his 80s. And he had been a traditional shaman or healer for his his village since his since he was like 17. He learned it in the chiclay, uh working in the chiclay fields with uh, with a shaman there. So it's it comes out of that work. But basically, in areas like that, they don't have. Um, a lot of medical care. So they, they are working with traditional healers, midwives, aunties, that type of thing for their medicine. So fast forward, I started reading Sastoon. And in the book, one of the case studies was about a woman who had all the same symptoms that I had. She had had painful periods. She was trying to get pregnant. She had a tipped uterus. And as soon as I read that, I knew that, that there was something there for me. So I tracked down Dr. Arvigo and she was doing, um, she was living in Belize, but she was doing herbal conferences in the States. So uh, myself and several other women just migrated to this conference and found her and said, you have to teach us this work. You have to teach us this uterine massage is what it was called back in the day. Now it's Arvigo techniques of my abdominal therapy. So uh, I learned the massage And I started doing a self-care massage that I teach all of my patients. That's part of our protocol. And this little five-minute massage transformed my life within three months. Wow. It was the first time in my life that uh, I didn't have painful periods, that I didn't have painful intercourse, that I wasn't having painful uh, back pain just I, I was i was just floored and i knew at that point i had to teach other women how to do that that this this information had to get out in the world because it was so important and it, and it had been so lost people that had come to the, to the united states did not bring a lot of this information with them you know they knew someone in the village back in the caribbean or italy right. or africa that that did this work but they personally didn't know How to use it, and they weren't using it. So that's been my mission for the last twenty-three years: is to really help women understand their bodies better, uh, definitely understand their uteruses, and to feel better, to get some kind of help.
0: And so, since you brought up the uh, abdominal massage, let's just go with that, and then we can talk about some of the other things related to the uterus. So I have to echo you on the the technique. I had my own belief story. I went to Belize. I can't remember. I, I, I'm I'm sure I did not decide to go to Belize because of the, my abdominal massage. I think I had booked a trip to Belize and then learned about, um, about her work. And I found this place where they taught it to me. And what I loved about it, it, it wasn't like here, come spend all this money. And now you have to come back every week. The whole philosophy about it is teaching other women, which used to be how the world worked. And we've just gotten away from that. And I have found it to be the, my abdominal massage to be extremely beneficial for me, not too much information, but like for me, it specifically helps with constipation. Like anytime I feel bloated, Mm -hmm. or constipated. I just do that. And what's interesting is I now do it on my son and they have a different format they recommended for him uh, through the gastroenterologist, but I do it with him too. And I'm like, I know this works. I do this on myself. Like I'm all for it. And it is such a great uh, technique. So maybe you could just talk a little bit more about what it is. and Then we'll kind of back into some of the uterine things that happen to women and go back to some other solutions. But since we're on this topic, let's go with it.
1: <laughs> that's great. Yes, it's a traditional uh, form of healthcare basically. So in traditional medicine, it's all about like keeping you well. like your your body is supposed to to run run like a little I, I don't want to say it, but like a machine. you know like a, a, a clock. everything's supposed to work uh, very efficiently and when it doesn't, something has gone very wrong. So that's that's when you start to feel, Uh, things like constipated, or you're you're getting painful periods, or you're getting um, acid reflux, you know, all these things that go on in the abdomen. And that's what the the massage does. Like a lot, many times what I'll do is I'll focus with women who are having issues with reproductive but it's a whole abdominal massage because the blood flow, the circulation that gets to the goes through the abdomen to get down to the pelvis comes from from like above the diaphragm where your heart is so many times what happens is, is things get very tight in the upper upper abdomen we're doing stuff now where we're spending hours on computers hunched over or we're we're not exercising we're not moving that area and so the holes where the major artery and vein and the esophagus come through, get very tight. And so those vessels that are coming through also get restricted. It's like somebody stepped on a hose and not all the water's coming through. That's what happens. And then the symptoms come up as constipation or uh, acid reflux, gas, um, and uterine problems. So
0: you can do this massage. I know that there's videos on YouTube that, that talk about it. Maybe you could just give some guidance on how someone can figure out how to do this, but then also when to do it and not. Because I know within this cycle, there are certain times that you should absolutely not be doing the massage. So maybe you can talk about that as well.
1: Yes. So we ask that you actually see a certified practitioner, someone who really has an understanding of anatomy and the body and what's going on. But basically, one of the most important things about the massage is the breathing, Because that's what's happening. Most of us are not breathing into the abdominal area. We're all like breathing up in our chest, just barely, you know, catching breath. So, just taking really deep breaths into the abdomen, maybe one hand in the upper abdomen, one in the pelvis, and just taking those slow breaths, almost feeling like as you breathe in, your hands are expanding off of your belly, like you're blowing, like air is going into a balloon. And as you're deflating, that air is coming out. That's that's the most important thing. That's going to move stuff all through the the abdomen. We think sometimes with massage that we're you know we're working very deeply into the muscles. It's not so much about deep, uh, although it can be in certain I- instances. But it's really more about getting that circulation going to all those organs. Our our abdomen is our most uh, vulnerable area. It has. All our major organs in it are, are um, your spleen, your liver, your stomach, your, 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 pal- your pelvic organs, all of that. So we're not used to being exposed to that area. So we tend to really close that, that area down by, you know, being forward so much on our computers or whatever we're doing. So that's what the massage, does, that's one of the major keys to the massage is really getting that breath into the area to move things through the body. So, I would just start with that one hand in your upper abdomen, one in your pelvis, just even see what does the temperature feel like. A lot of us are really cold one of the one of the tag phrases that like a an acupuncturist might use is, oh, your uterus is very cold, and you're like, oh my gosh, what happened? <laughs> and it's it's just that the circulation isn't getting all the way down there. So sometimes just even putting your hand there that brings warmth to the area, and breathing into that area is also going to get the circulation going because with that circulation, with the blood moving, that's going to move. Um, The the nutrition into the area, it's going to bring hormones into the area, it's going to help move stuff through the lymphatic system. So it's really, that's it, seems really simple, but it's a huge uh, benefit to the body. Yeah, so I would just start with the breathing first and then just doing some, you know, some light stroking in the upper belly. Like you'll see right underneath the ribs, for most people, it's really tight in there, you know. And so just holding your hands in that area and breathing, see if you can allow it to drop a little bit. I tell people like, just imagine that you're on your couch and you're like so cozy there and you've got your blanket and nobody's going to move, move you for the next couple of hours. So you, so you just breathe and you let your hands, as you exhale, just kind of drop down into those tissues. And then you can just sweep in towards the navel a little bit if you want, you know, just to move things. And that's also stretching the, the holes in the diaphragm as you do that. So again, that's gonna open up for those vessels to get that optimal flow down to the pelvis.
0: Yeah. And so then when should you not in your within your cycle be doing the, the massage?
1: So if you're so you can do the whole massage in the upper abdomen and around the navel and the pelvis. However, if you're trying to conceive that month, then you're going to you're going to not do any kind of massage in the pelvis. You're just going to do like warm hands and breathing into that area because you really want the uterus to just you want everything to tuck in there. You don't want to be moving the uterus around. Up until that time, we want to be getting we want to be moving the uterus a little bit just to get better circulation to that area. And many times I was talking about the uterus shifting, That's because the ligaments have become overstretched in the pelvis and the uterus just falls wherever that happens. So the massage is actually bringing blood flow to the area as you're lifting the uterus up, but it's also like doing little bicep curls for those ligaments to help strengthen them to bring the uterus back into place so that it's getting all this really good circulation. Again, it's the same thing of like, you know, you step on a hose, not all the water's coming out. So when your uterus is shifted and it's sitting either on your bladder or your intestines or your ovaries, your fallopian tubes. It's also sitting on all these um, vessels that are trying to bring it nutrition and keep everything healthy.
0: Okay. So even during bleed, as long as you're not trying to conceive, you can do the massage.
1: You can do the whole thing. Usually when you're bleeding, unless you're cramping, which it's very helpful. I would just say if you're during your heaviest flow, probably just lay off, do warm hands in that area because okay. things are already moving. But if you 're getting cramps it's it 's a wonderful thing to do it 's amazing how quickly just getting some blood flow to that area will help will help calm down uh, the discomfort
0: and then I guess uh, I did want to since you brought up the tilted uterus so i 've heard differing opinions about whether or not the tilted uterus impacts fertility and i 'd love to get your thoughts on this because i 've heard you know yes i 've heard no and I know that we don't have a clinical trial on it. So, you know, and I know that uh, your thoughts, you know, again, don't have the the specific data behind it, but again, just based on your own experience and just clarifying that we don't have a clinical trial, it'd be great to get your perspective on what a tilted uterus would do and how it might impact one's fertility.
1: As far as fertility, it depends on what's going on. I I can't say also, I can't say that, you know, that's not why you're getting pregnant. However, when the uterus is in place and it's getting that proper nutrition, things are moving, it's not sitting on your fallopian tubes or your ovaries, you have a much higher chance, I would believe, to get pregnant than, than if it was out of place and, and seriously obstructing you know, some of the structures in the area. I, f- I find that um, a lot of times when women do do the massage and get their uterus back into place or even even just get the blood moving to that area, just get a little bit more circulation. Over time, the uterus will get into place. But it, I think that it just really, in my experience, has upped their their fertility ability.
0: And I wouldn't want to limit it to fertility. So maybe a-, a better question would have been, are there any negative impacts to a tilted uterus outside of what you were saying around the uterus should be in a good position and you want to, you know, Optimize it by doing this massage. Just are there any other potential impacts that women should be aware of?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, when the uterus is out of place again, it's, it's, it's sitting on the other organs, so it's harder to get pregnant, I think, mm-hmm. sometimes, or it's harder, it's definitely harder for the uterus to empty out because that's why women will have uh, painful periods a lot of times because the uterus is out of position. So when, when the uterus is in place, the cervix should point down towards the ground. Most women should get maybe uh, an hour or two of just some slight cramping or maybe a little bit of spotting just to let them know it's coming. Right. And then you should get like a full flow. It should be cherry pinky red for a couple of days. It should be like that. No clotting. Maybe a light day of spotting at the end. De- definitely cherry pinky red. If that's not happening, that's not a normal cycle, even though we're, we're led to believe that that's how it's supposed to be. And we can get through life like that. However, that's going to set up a lot of problems. So when the uterus tips in any way, anyway, like if you're getting brown blood at the beginning, it can be like the last period or so not cleaning out. But if you get it at the end, it can be from a long time of that period not getting cleaned out. And so what happens is that the inside of the uterus starts to get a little indurated. It almost starts to get like a little crusty because it's just not getting enough oxygen and circulation that it could be. And your uterus's job is to get you pregnant every month. So if that doesn't happen, then she's really wants to get that out. And that's why you're cramping because the uterus is a muscle. So it's just trying to get that lining out. So it's ready for that next cycle to get you pregnant. So that's the difference between when your uterus is in place and it's not. Sometimes you can have a retroverted uterus. It can be sitting back on your intestines. You may or may not ha- be having some intestinal problems, a little constipation. Um, it could be sitting forward, antiverted on your uterus. You could feel like, oh, I have to pee a lot more than other people, or I have a, s- a sensation that I have to pee more, but nothing's coming out. And those are, those are some of the symptoms of the uterus being out. So when the uterus is put back into place, those seem to go away. Now, that's really helpful
0: because I also like that you're giving such concrete examples because one of the things that as I've been doing this podcast, I'm just learning such interesting information. Like, for example, one had said that if you have go to your OBGYN and your pap smear is painful, that's not normal. And I remember we posted the podcast and people on the Facebook group that we have, we have a private Facebook group. And they were like, I had no idea that it's not supposed to hurt. And so I think the more we talk about examples of what women shouldn't be feeling, I think it allows us to start monitoring what's happening. So we can be like, oh, wait a minute. You know, I do feel like I have to go to the bathroom more often than most of my friends seem to be talking about it. So maybe I need to monitor that and do something. So just even you sharing that I think is incredibly powerful. So thanks for those examples. One of the other things that I wanted to cover with you is about vaginal steaming. So it's funny, we're kind of almost going to what are some solutions and as a result, what problems does it solve? So uh, (laughs) let's go with that. So vaginal steaming is something that uh, I will say I've even tried. And what's interesting is before I tried it, I'd never had a lot of issues with yeast infections. And then I started getting a lot of them and I had no idea what was going on. So I was like, I'll just try the vaginal steaming. I have not had one since. And so I'm now fascinated by this, but I also, I'd love to cover what it is, how it helps women, but I also want you to talk about some folks who may say, don't do it, it's bad. Because like, for example, douching apparently is a big, big no-no, even though it sits on the shelves at your local supermarket or drugstore. Um, I know douching is a big no-no. So why is vaginal steaming okay? So I'd love for you to just explain what it is, why it helps, why it's okay. And again, we don't have a clinical trial. So let's just
1: share what we, we, what we know. Right. However, if you go to um, the island of Cozumel, there's, in the center of the island, it, there is a temple called San Gervasio. And it is the island of for us, it's the, the East Chell, the goddess of healing and fertility and moon cycles and weaving and plants. That was her temple. And so women in the area would come to pilgrims to to this temple every year to find out about their moon cycles and learn how to take care of themselves and especially if someone was trying to get. Pregnant, they would learn what they needed to do from the other women. The men were not allowed on this island in this area. Wow. The men would take them from where is it um, Playa del Carmen from the mainland. They would they would take the women. They knew the patterns of how to get out there, but they were not allowed there. So if you go, you see the stones where they actually did the vaginal steams. <laughs> so this has been around for a very long time. Um, in Central America and also in Asia, the Korean people may have gone to a Korean spa and had one done. It's been around for a long time. I think what the no-no is with doctors more than anything, they're not so much the seams, but the douching, like they're so afraid you're going to throw off your pH. And if you go to CVS or a drugstore and you get, you know, Massingale douche or, or one of those chemically mixed products, yes, that will definitely throw off your pH, especially if you're using it on a regular basis. But what they used was herbs. That's that's the tools. That's what they, they had. And those herbs can be used for healing and have been using, used for healing for many years. So with the steams, we do I usually do up a blend for someone, depending on what's going on. If they're having, you know, more yeast infections, or if they're having really clotty periods with pain, uh, or they're having a lot of, you know, like just kind of irritation in that area, I'll make up a mix of things to use. But say one of the most common is is the IA, that's the, the mugwort, that's what they'll use in a Korean spa it's really good for the uterus. It's a real uterine herb. It's really warming. It's soothing. And I just make up a big pot of tea, basically, put a tea ball, a large tea ball with that in, let it steep just like you'd make a cup. You can even you know, drink some if you want. And what happens is, is that steam goes up into the vaginal canal and into the cervix. And so, that's how it, re- it delivers the essential oils, like the... From, from those plants. So you never want to use essential oils. They're way, way too strong. But the thing is you can use dried herbs. You can use fresh herbs. Usually like basil is really good to get any of your Italian, Italian dra- or herbs in your cabinet. Like, you know, in the middle of winter, you could just grab a bottle of your organic uh, uh, Italian herb dressing. Herbs. So I don't have to go get the fresh herbs all the time because that's <laughs> what I did. I'm like, got to get my list so okay no I'm it's really nice and, and, and one of the best companies ever is mountain Herb, uh, mountain rose herbs anybody can go to that site they're in Oregon and they have really good quality herbs many of them are wildcrafted crafted uh, organic very very inexpensive so you can you can get a large bag and share them with your girlfriends yeah. And it's really warming. It's like 10 minutes. Most, peop- most people are afraid to get burned. And yeah, you want to be really careful. What I do is I, I run my hand physically over the pot just to make sure it's not too hot or cold. I do it in my toilet. I clean my toilet out really well. I'll find a like a mixing bowl that goes just over the water line so that the water doesn't go in. And I'll pour my, my tea water into that. Again, because I'm putting the toilet seat down, it might heat up a little bit. I'll run my hand, make sure, double-check it's not too hot or cold. And then you just tent yourself up. Like in the old days, you did a pot for a facial. It's the same thing. but and, or, or like a facial. If you go for a facial, we're used to having that very hot, continuous steam. This is so beautiful. It's very nice and rolling and warming you know, you just, you want to have something on your feet. That's the other thing I wanted to talk about. Like those old wise tales of like, don't go out in the wet grass with no shoes on. That cold is going to hurt your uterus. It does. That cold comes up through your feet and just hits your uterus. So you always want to keep that area warm, nice shoes on or a rug under your feet. You'll want to put something around your, the, the waist, a, a sweatshirt or something. And it's a wonderful thing to do at night before you go to bed because you're like all cozy and, and warm. You can have your little glass of uh, wine or tea. And then, and then it's, that's it, you know. It usually lasts about 10 minutes, and then, this, and then it, the steam dies down. If you want to do another one, you can. But I, I feel like that's just enough. And most people feel like it's really warming. A lot of women are like, oh, I'm just feeling more lubricated great thing to do before a period, especially if you're one of those women that gets like really crampy periods. I would almost start about five days out, unless you're trying to get pregnant. If you're trying to get pregnant, I wouldn't be doing the steams unless you, you know, ended up getting a period. And then, you know, at the start of the period or at the end, you could do it. Right. Um, but
0: okay, they're lovely. So, I mean, it really, it's funny, just um, as we're talking, it's just becoming apparent to me. Like thinking about how I've tried some of these things, um, how self-caring it is. Like when I do the my abdominal massage, it's right before bed. Lie in my bed. I get wonderful massage oil. Make sure it's got lavender in it. I turn out the lights and I just massage my abdomen, and then I go to bed. And it is just like such a great way to to go to bed, and um, just all these self-care techniques, and especially in this age where we are just worn out, and now especially with COVID, like it is a very exhausting time. And just knowing that there's these natural healing things that you can do that, that really do help you is, is so nice to talk about it. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> so what else does the, uh, the steaming help? So obviously um, the yeast infections, it helps. Let me ask you this. Why does it help the yeast infections?
1: So I wouldn't do be doing it for like a raging yeast infection. I mean, if there's any infection, of course, any cancer, like you don't want to be doing this, probably would not do it with an IUD. Don't want to do it if you're pregnant, you know, you know you're pregnant. Those, those would be the main like contraindications of, of doing the steams. Otherwise, they're pretty, they're very gentle, but it's, it's really the power of the herbs. It's that warming, you know, when, when women have like fibroids, and endometriosis, yeast infections it's because the things aren't draining well right so okay. things were get, getting backed up well, i found a lot in this work that and and other people that do the Arvigo work that a lot of women that have like hpv they they get all freaked out because you know something something's wrong down there and basically what's happening is the cervix isn't in place when your uterus the, the bottom of the uterus is your cervix right So when the when the uterus shifts, the cervix is going to shift. So when that cervix is out of place, when things aren't draining down towards the ground with gravity, it tends to back up. So the cervical crypts that are right at the base of the cervix um, are are not draining well. So when those back up in the in the in the canal, they start to it it creates inflammation, right? And where there's inflammation, that's when you're going to have cells, you know, cells that are kind of out of control. And I think with the yeast infections, that's, to me, I believe that that's part of it. Again, I I can't give you the scientific reason, but I know that a lot of women that have had yeast infections, that it's been so helpful. The other thing, the, the douching thing that I do like is green clay. Green clay is dirt, basically. It's when you go get a, a facial, that's usually what they'll do. And right, it's drawing out impurities and it can draw out like 10 times its weight. So again, at, at Mountain Rose Herbs, you can get a, a bag of, it's also called uh, bentonite clay. Mm-hmm. That's, a little, that's a little bit more, uh, the grounds are a little bit bigger, whereas the cosmetic green clay is, is more fine. That is one of the best things to do to, for douching. And that's great for uh, yeast infections. That's one of the things that I would, I would be using. Just like a tablespoon with, um, if you're going to use a big douche bag, you know, like the hot water bottles, I would use like a, a tablespoon of that. Mix it up in a, in, a, in a, you know, eight ounce glass of warm water. Let it settle. You want the clay to kind of go to the bottom, the heavy parts, and then the, the cloudy water, that's what you pour off into the bag. And then if you want, you can put like a little, like a dropper full of calendula or eusnea. Those are like antibacterial, antimicrobial, antifungal is the eusnea. It's kind of like uh, tea tree. And then the the calendula is just soothing because everything's like kind of enraged. So that kind of calms stuff down. You could put that in. Now, what about
0: from a toxin perspective? Like, is there a specific, you know, type of clay one should consider or... Should we assume that if it's clay it's it's pure and fine, and then as far as the water, do they have to make sure it's filtered
1: so so the uterus is very it can pull tox because it's a, a because it's a mucous membrane it can pull toxins in really easily that's why you don't want to be using um you know regular tampons like okay. you always want to use organic because you can get some pretty bad stuff from those. So that, that could be one reason why you're getting a, a yeast infection. But if you want to use filtered water, I would think that would probably be better than tap water because you don't know what's, unless you really know what's coming out of your tap, like in the city, I would probably use filtered water. And the green clay that I get from uh, Mountain Rose Herbs, I really like that brand. I really like that company. So I, I, w- I would tend to go to someplace that you're used to getting your herbs from that okay. you know that they're having good quality. I don't, I would not go into CVS and get green clay. You can't okay. usually even get it. And I um, like green clay better than anything else. That's my first call.
0: The green clay. Okay. Yeah.
1: And it's a powder. It's not like, it's not like a uh, pottery clay. <laughs> <Right. laughs> Got yeah. to
0: point out for sure. <laughs> so um, another area that I wanted to cover is, um, uterine fibroids, it's it's honestly not an area I know too well. I've learned, you know, that as one gets older, one can get more of them. I believe it's surgery that you would need to treat them. I mean, it's, there's, doesn't seem to be a whole lot known. I know there's some companies who are really starting to focus a lot more on women's health and looking at drugs to help with uterine fibroids, but maybe you could just educate us from the perspective and the type of medicine that you practice. Um, what women can need to know and can consider as far as potentially natural ways of support or at least healing to deal with something that can be extremely painful.
1: Yeah, a lot of women have uh, fibroids and, and it could it can be hereditary. Many times it is hereditary. It can occur and and women don't even know that they have them. They can have them for years and they're so small that they... They don't even know they have them unless you go in for a, unless you're usually having some kind of pain or say you're going in for a fertility treatment and they're checking the uterine cavity, you don't know that you have them. And anything below about a five centimeter, which is, I don't, I don't know how to explain that, may, maybe like quarter, quarter size. Okay. Um, those are usually treatable. However, it depends on, it, it, it just depends they can be slow growing. They can be fast growing. It's there's so many th- there's so many variables about it. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that if you can avoid getting them, that's the most important thing. So a lot of women will get them. Number one, because their uterus was out of place, they're not getting enough circulation. They're doing a lot of xenoestrogens. They're uh, drinking a lot of water in plastic bottles. People are cooking their food in plastic it's those, those have a lot of estrogen in them. So, so that's the thing with, with fibroids that they're estrogen dominant. So that's where you really want to watch your intake, especially people that are doing, uh, say they might even be vegetarian, but they're doing a lot of products with soy in them. So watching, watching your soy products, your, the, the plastics, that type of thing, having your uterus in place, those are going to help those decrease the chances usually of getting fibroids once you have them you could be getting debilitating pain you could be having flooding and clotting during your periods those those are usually like little warning signs for people like I didn't you know I didn't know I had them but my periods were getting heavier more clotty those those are always things that you want to discuss with your doctor or Maybe just call them up and say, can we do a sonogram and, and see what's going on? Surgery can help and they can come back again. They can do either like a, a laparoscopy where they go in like a, they, like a C-section or, or through the navel. Uh, they're getting better with robotics. But anytime you do surgery, you're always affecting other tissues. So that's when you can start to get scar tissue. And that you don't want to have anywhere in your body, but especially, you know, around your uterus.
0: Yeah, that's what I took away. I was um, at like a mini talk about uterine fibroids and I hadn't known much about them except that they existed and I was floored. I mean, it really, I also took away from that, it's about prevention because once it starts, it's not great. And if I'm not mistaken, it tends to happen as you get older, correct?
1: It can, yeah, it okay. can tend to get as you, But I've but I've seen, you know, 25 year olds with fibroids
0: and with several,
1: and they've had, you know, and some people have had many surgeries, like they've had 20 fibroids and they've had them taken out and they come back. And I've had, you know, friends that even are walking around with like the size of a grapefruit, you know, fibroid, because they don't want to have surgery. I say if you can take care of it when they're smaller, you have a better chance. I know there's a lot of people out there doing many different kinds of supplements. Some of them work for my clients. Some of them have not, but that's that can be really helpful at the beginning. But once they start to get bigger, they're a lot more challenging. Now, tell me about
0: the issue with tofu because I know that there are a lot of vegetarians out there. Is it no soy products at all? Is it Monitor where the soy products come from. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I I would say yeah, definitely lower. You know, get more mindful about the how much how much of your in what your intake is of that. If you're doing it every day, not great. And and also watch where it's coming from. I think you can supplement with other things too. Now I it, I think there's more more of a demand for. Uh, retailers to be carrying other products for people who are going vegetarian, vegan. So there's more more to choose from. But I would be really mindful about about your intake of how much soy and where it's coming from, as well as the rest of your food. You know, that's the other thing. Fibroids also also are because you know there's pesticides on our on our foods. The food, food quality isn't is as good as it was when we were back in the day. You know, growing it ourselves as our main source of, of food intake.
0: I have to say, like, I am, um, I was probably naive early on in life, or just like, you know, if I can't see it, oh, it's no big deal. Like, like I'm not one of those people who's overly stressed out about, um, obviously, with COVID now, I wash my hands all the time, but like, I wasn't like worried about dirt before, because I'm like, it's just a part of life. But now, I mean, the world is just different with COVID. Obviously, I have to be very clean, but even, just the foods and the toxins. And I know I've done a lot of cleaning house because it really does impact us in ways that I think would be shocking. I mean, the more research that's coming out, a lot of the conferences I've gone to, they talk about some of the unpublished research that is getting published soon. And the data on how these toxins impact women is uh, scary, (laughs) honestly. So we really can't mess around with that. So What about another one I wanted to talk about is the septate uterus. So, first, I wanted to bring up I was at the American Society for Reproductive Medicine conference last year in October, so 2019. And I just happened to go, it was like on the last day of the conference, I happened to go to this session where they were talking about a septate uterus. And there was a European doctor and a US doctor. And what they were doing is comparing the European guidelines to the U.S. guidelines. Mm -hmm. And then they did an analysis of people who came in and they just had potentially a septate uterus. And they said, okay, if we analyzed these people using the American criteria, and then again with the European criteria, like the numbers differed vastly over whether or not they had a septate uterus and so I walked away. I'm like, first, I didn't even know what this was. Um, I don't even know if most women know that it's a thing. <laughs> and next, even if I wondered if I had it, depending on if I'm in Europe or the US, or frankly, which doctor I go to, I may or may not be diagnosed with it. So, <laughs> so why don't we talk about what it is? Is it a big deal? And, and why women need to be aware of this? <laughs>
1: Yes, I I love the uterus. I I call her a her, you know, (laughs) because she's like my girlfriend. We've been together all our lives and we all go through the good and the bad, the good lovers, the bad lovers, babies, (laughs) whatever. So, um, and in Chinese medicine, you call her your second second heart, right? Because your your uterus is connected to your heart in Chinese medicine, and so I I think it's the sweetest thing in the world that you could have a heart shaped uterus. The septum septum creates like a little heart in the uterus and the in the fundus in the top, and um and it's just that the tissue when it it just doesn't it. it, it it's like a piece of fruit that's a little bit different, you know. <laughs> um, and and so so what happens is is that the they will go in and they they'll they'll surgically kind of remove the tissue that's creating the top of the heart shape. And and most women don't even know they have it. It's 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 usually not a big deal. It's usually very small. It doesn't go down that deep. However, if someone's trying to get pregnant, um, sometimes they will will just go in and do surgery to take it out just to give the baby more room in, in the uterus. Or sometimes women will have very painful periods and that might be the problem. You know, why that, why that's, that could be the reason why it's happening is because of the septum. But uh, I I just think it's the sweetest thing in the world that you could have a little heart. I know, right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, it is, I even walked away from that where it's, it's still even unclear if it has an impact, right? I mean, I have heard as well, it's a very simple surgery and it could cause miscarriages. It could cause implantation issues, but like no one knows for sure, which is what's frustrating about women's health. But I do wanted people to at least know it is a thing. There's different criteria to diagnose it. And we're not even sure if it has an impact on trying to conceive, but at least you're aware. And, you know, I guess do with that information what you will, Right.
1: Yeah, especially someone who's having like chronic miscarriages, that would definitely be something that you would want to look into, or your or your doctor. I'm sure at some point would do a you know a sonogram, and and see what's going on. But yeah, that's it. I would say more like chronic miscarriages and and problems trying to conceive. That would be one thing that I would really look into. An easy fix. Now, what about
0: endometriosis? Anything you wanted to cover there with this group, based on your experience?
1: Yes, many, 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 many women have endometriosis and now they're just starting to make a thing of it because in the past, the doctors have not believed women or and other people have not believed that, that you could have such a painful period. And what happens is, our theory is that when the uterus is out of place and that lining's not coming off every month and the uterus is cramping really hard to get it out of the cervix, then what can happen is it could go back up out through the fallopian tubes at the top of the uterus at the fundus and then start to migrate into the either the pelvic cavity they've even found pieces of it up in the brain it can wander through the body but usually like say your uterus is a little bit anterior then if they went in and did surgery they would probably find it all over your bladder and you know probably your fallopian tubes and stuff they can't really diagnose it unless they go in and surgery, do surgery. It would be a laparoscopy. And um, what happens is, is that tissue is coming off the inside of the uterus where it has that cyclical ability to start bleeding the same time that the uterus is. So that's why you'll start to have like really bad problems in your bladder or in your side or something because at the same time, that tissue is is getting inflamed, and that's the issue with endometriosis. And it can go on for years. Like women can have these really, really debilitating periods and not know what's going on. And it's also really hard for uh, fertility issues. That's a that's a big problem that women have who have endometriosis trying to conceive. So if you're having painful periods, you need to get it checked out. You know, and yeah. you need to be very proactive. If you have someone that's just like, oh, everybody gets that. Well, yeah, but I'm me living in my body 24 seven and I know my body better than anybody else. And so I would really like to have you check it out. And if not, I'm going to go to school.
0: No, that's I mean, it's it's very, very true. It's a tragic condition that affects so many people. And uh, we actually interviewed uh, Dr. Tamara Suchkin. Uh, to talk about endometriosis from a surgeon's perspective. And then we will have a podcast coming out with uh, Chris Jackson, who runs Cicero DX, and they have the Receptiva DX test, which actually can, they take a sample of your uterine lining to determine if you have endometriosis. So there's a lot of innovations that are coming out, thankfully, um, but it is a really tragic thing. So I guess you know because of the area that you practice, I did want to bring up castor oil packs and that's part of why I led you, led you to the endometriosis route because yeah. so I wanted to get your perspective on how and why they help and I guess if they even do. I know I've done them myself and I, I honestly, I just find like all these very natural rituals to be so soothing, mm-hmm. um, which is, I, I think I do them more for that. <laughs> And then the benefits are just, you know, an afterthought, but um, it just feels so nice to do all this self-care. So maybe you can tell us about castor oil packs and the benefit that they have broadly, like not just endo.
1: Yes, I love castor oil. Castor oil is called Palma Christi, the Palma Christ, because supposedly it's, it has this ability to heal everything. It's a purgative. So it, it really moves things strongly. If, if you drank it, uh, you would probably have a really huge bowel movement. Yes. <laughs> Which I have, have heard it? that. I have not <laughs> tried that, I've okay. heard that. If you've got parasites, it's probably good. You know? <laughs> but, um, and, and people use it as just, you know, like once a year they or once every six months, they, they do it just as a, a cleaning. However, it has such amazing properties uh, if you use it topically. So topically what you the castor oil pack you know what is a castor oil pack that's what we use a lot in women's health because it's it's great for fibroids and endometriosis painful periods like so many things belly issues if you make a pack and a pack is just a piece of cloth so it can be anything that's all cotton or wool you don't want any synthetic because you want it to absorb a lot of oil so you can use a, an old sheet an old t-shirt You can uh, cut up a towel, something like that. If it's thick, you're not going to have to fold it. If it's thinner, you need to get about four layers so that it can get a lot of oil in it. And what you do is you, it's a little messy sometimes. So people are like, (laughs) and I did it once and it was all over the place. So you just have to know in your head that it's going to be messy. But once you do it once or twice, you can make it really a lot less messy. So you just, you, you take that cloth, you go over the sink, you put it in your hand and, and you just use maybe an ounce of oil to really saturate that cloth, but not dripping. And you'll figure out like before you do it, how big you want it. If you want it in your pelvis, I guess it's maybe six inches, something like that. And then you just put it right on your skin. And I usually take saran wrap, you know, I'm again, you know, estrogens, but if you want, you can do saran wrap because it's, you know, a couple layers, or you can just take, you know, another something and then you put your heat source on it. Heating pad, bean bag, um, hot water bottle, anything like that. You want it warm. You don't want it like hot, hot, right? Because all you need to do is open up the pores. So you want to open up the pores so that the oil can move into the system and it is amazing. What it does is it it moves stuff through the lymphatic system, so it helps with any kind of inflammation. It's really nourishing for all the tissues, especially the uterus, breast. You know, if you've got breast cysts, it's great to do before a couple days before you do a mammogram because it will move that lymphatic through, but it it helps to break up any scar tissue adhesions. If you had C-sections or any kind of... um, Appendix, you know, any kind of surgeries, it's like excellent for that. And, it's, and it hel- really helps the his- tissues to heal. If you've got like back pain, like you throw your back out, you can use it in the area. And if that's the first thing you do, instead of having a week of your back being out, it's going to be like three and a half days. Wow. So it just brings this really quick healing in. So it's, it's so good for women's health. Now, the only caveat is is if you are um, trying to conceive, you definitely don't want to be doing a lot of castor-roll packs. Like there's maybe a day or two, you know, at the beginning of the cycle where you could do it, but probably not if you're bleeding heavy, so maybe one day. So it's kind of not worth it. But if you're, if you're thinking about conceiving in the next six months or three months, or if you're taking, uh, they did a, a retrieval and you're waiting to do the transfer, then you have a nice window where you can be doing these on like a daily basis if, if you want, or a couple of times a week. So they, they're really, really helpful, especially with the endometriosis, fibroids, that that type of thing. Okay. So I love them. And and also when you're doing them, just make sure you just like put an old towel underneath you and and maybe a hefty bag. Just, you know, don't have your license. Silk pajamas on, or anything. I put down the old sheets on the bed and um, my old, you know, pajama top. And I, I do them when I sleep a lot of times. Like, you have to make sure that the heat turns off, so you don't want to have like a heating pad. So I usually use those bean bags. But um, I'll put the pack on, I'll put the heat on, I'll put a towel over that, my old sheets, and fall asleep. And then the next morning, I undo it. And then that cloth, you just put it in a Ziploc bag or uh, Tupperware or something and or a jar and you don't have to keep it in the fridge but you just put it in a dark dry place and then the next time you add just a little teeny bit of oil and you just keep using it until it smells or looks bad then you toss it.
0: I will say it is true about the messy so you do want to be prepared and I think if you know in advance it's a lot easier and if you're struggling like I did on what cloth do I use where do I have one in my house on Amazon they have and I'll add it to my website if people want to easily find it but they have an a pack where it has the cloth with it the wipes right um and all those things now the bean bag is it just do you heat it in the microwave or you don't it's just just having it there is enough heat
1: uh no i would heat it in the microwave and always we always go with that, whatever the directions are for that bag so it may say like Heat it for three minutes. So you want to heat it for maybe two and a half, because you don't want to burn the bag itself. But um, again, you just you want it warm. You don't want it hot. They even have these great on Amazon. You can get these casserole pack holders, and it's like a little apron, and it has a pocket. It's vinyl. It has a little pocket on it. It has Velcro. So you put your casserole pack on. You put the heat source in in that, and then you Velcro it on, and you can be doing your dishes.
0: No you know? way.
1: Yeah. So, and and, it's, and I would do it for about 45 minutes to an hour. I'm getting that apron. <laughs> yeah. And you can use, you can use, um you can use like some other oil or something afterwards if it's still sticky to, to just kind of, you know, make it not so sticky or you could use uh, a little baking soda and water and that will cut it right away.
0: Now, one thing I did forget to ask when you talked about frequency is for vaginal steaming and the frequency with that, what should be the frequency if someone chooses to do that?
1: the frequency. Oh, how often I would do it. It depends on what you're doing it for. If you want to just feel fresh and clean, I would do it, you know, maybe after your period, you know, as your period starts to die down when you get a little brown blood, or if you, if your period is a little brown at the beginning of the cycle, I would do it maybe three or four days out, maybe do three days back to back or at the end of the period if you're dealing with an issue other than that, like you're, you're getting more yeast infections or um, you're just feeling irritated, you could do it a little bit more frequently. Again, it's heat. Heat is really moving, right? Mm-hmm. So you want to move things a little bit, but if something's really inflamed, you don't want to do it a whole lot. So maybe space it out. Like women that are having painful periods or trying to conceive, well, pain, women who have painful periods, I would do it like five days out, five days before the period. Women who are trying to conceive, I would do it if if you were getting ready for a cycle, either a natural cycle or an assisted cycle, I would do it like right before the period, at the beginning of the period, and the end.
0: And then back to the castor oil packs, My so as far as the heat in the castor oil, when you are bleeding um, in your monthly cycle, what do you not do it? Do you just avoid the heat and do the castor oil, do the heat, not the castor oil? Like what's, I know that that there's different parts of the cycle where the heat and the castor oil do have an impact. I just can't remember what it is.
1: Yeah, Yeah. So, so your uterus is working really hard when it's bleeding and it's already a little warm because it's full and things are like moving. So I probably wouldn't be doing a castor oil pack then. Right, because if the blood's really moving and then you're adding heat, it's going to move even more. And you just want her to do what she's going to do. You don't, you know, but if you're really, really crampy and say the period's like not coming on, you're just like getting spotting for two or three days, do the castor oil pack, do the steams. Those are great to like help, especially the steams are good for bringing on period, but the castor oil pack will help. If you're having that cramping and you can put it, you could do like a half an hour on the front and say you're getting some back pain, do a half an hour on the back. But again, warm, not hot, hot. Does the
0: apron go on the
1: back and the front yeah, <laughs> that's what it does need to make that product? It does. It does. It's it amazing. does. Oh yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> okay. uh, heritage, heritage, uh, heritage, the ones that sell the castor oil pack. Oh, and that's the other thing with the castor oil. You want to make sure that it's um, for external. So okay. it's not something that you would get and drink internally from the pharmacy. You're going to get this from the health food store or, you know, online or something. It'll usually say uh, cold press for exterior use only.
0: Thank you. Well,
1: Nicole, this has
0: been unbelievably informative. And and I, I'd love to ask you like what I mean, you shared your wonderful story in the beginning about how you were inspired on this journey. And given all the work that you've done with women, what would you say is your greatest hope for women's health?
1: My greatest hope is that, is that they start really getting some help, that they, that, that they realize that they don't have to continue to live in such pain and disparity and shame. And, you know, that, that especially with other women, that we're, we're teaching each other how to take get better care of ourselves because i i think that we've all been through so much in our lives everybody has at least one story if not many of be- feeling really secluded and feeling really hopeless and i feel like it's my job in life to really help people get to know their bodies better and to be able to find like simple 5 minute things that they can do for themselves that really improve the quality of their lives and um
0: that's awesome. Well, thank you for everything that you do. It, it's definitely making a difference. And thank you for sharing your wisdom. Because I think this will be a truly enlightening uh, hour that people
1: can listen to. And uh, just thank you again. Thank you so much.